Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive in to today's message. So for those of you who saw my Instagram uh, and Facebook posts throughout the week of maybe the greatest gift that I've ever received in my life of the book that a couple of young men from our uh, congregation gave to me, it's the uh, very embarrassing dad joke book. Um, and, and Cindy Wells is just on the edge of her seat, eager with anticipation for me to begin telling these dad jokes. But this Sunday, I'm going to give you a break. No dad jokes this Sunday morning. So, but know that I now have a whole book of dad jokes at my disposal. But this morning, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Daniel chapter 3. Now, we are kind of, we've seen this story over the past few weeks. Will it really begin to kind of ramp up and start to, um, to take a little bit of a turn and, and really you know, we're, we're approaching one of the two climatic moments in the book of Daniel in, in chapter 3. And really, there's, there's not a whole lot of setup that, that you can do with, with the climatic moments. I don't know if you guys, whenever you're watching a movie, uh, I, I'm going to let some of my uh, inner geekdom uh, come out here. If you, are, if you just walk into a movie, or if the movie is just a climatic moment, and you just walk into this moment of, of the cinematic climax, and you don't have the backstory to go along with it, it kind of takes the edge off of this climatic scene. You don't understand it. it like Lord of the Rings, if you've not watched the glory that is 12 plus hours of the extended edition Lord of the Rings, that gets you to the point where they're destroying the ring, then you're missing the context. All right, the Avengers. If you've not watched all 3,000 minutes of Avengers movies and, and Marvel movies that lead you up to this battle that they're facing, you lose the context of it. And Star Wars, if you... Well, if you go outside of the first trilogy, you're really not missing much. <laughs> but if you don't watch that first trilogy then whenever they begin destroying things, you, you don't get this context. And this is kind of, with this story, we're building to this first climatic moment, which we find in chapter 3. And we have seen where these Hebrew boys have been taken hostage, and they've been taken captive into Babylon, and they've been assimilated into the culture. They've changed what they, what they learned. They've changed their identity. They've they changed their names. And we've seen them take a stand so far when it comes to their food. And then we've seen Nebuchadnezzar have a dream. We've seen God bless them for their obedience. And one of the blessings that he gives to them is that he gives Daniel the interpretation of all of dreams and visions of all types. And at last week in chapter 2, we saw where Daniel was able to put that gift into effect and into use when he uh, acknowledged and interpreted the king's dream accurately. But now... You know, whenever you take a stand for Christ, you don't just have to take one stand in your lifetime. It's usually multiple stands over and over and over, sometimes on a daily basis of not compromising 
your faith, your convictions, and what you believe in your faith. But also a tendency that happens is, and we can see it in this story, the first stand that they really made was kind of back in private. You know, they were changing the diet of these young teenage men, and, and they were able to kind of pull the guard aside and go, hey, listen, we really don't want to do this. What if we do this? So it's really, there's, there wasn't a whole lot of an audience around them at this point. But what we're going to see in chapter 3 is that there's another moment of decision that comes for these young men, and we find out that this is a much more public showing and a much more public testing of their convictions and, and not being willing to compromise in their faith. But I want to start out with this, kind of preface this chapter by using a verse out of the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 21, where Paul writes this. It says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I'm sure that you've heard something along these lines that if I live, I get Christ. If I live, I get more of Christ. If I die, then I'm with Christ. Either way, I win. If I live, I get Christ. If I die, I get to be with Christ. And I think that something, surely something like this, had to be going through the mind of these three young Hebrew young men who their Hebrew name was Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah that we more popularly know as Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. So think about that. Keep that passage in your mind as we read out of chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 18. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, governors, advisors, all of these other, they have to list them every time. And you'll notice that throughout this chapter. They, they, they list them every time. But they assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then, they, then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and people of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zithyr, the lyre, the harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zithyr, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that the king had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zithyr, the lyre, the harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold and that whoever does not fall down in worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve you, serve your gods, nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these young men were brought before the king. 
And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you, now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zithier, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego re replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. For if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. Now, scripture after scripture after scripture leading up to this in the Old Testament, we know and we read that idol worship or worshiping false gods is a, is a big no-no in God's eyes. And these young men would have known that. They would have been taught that. They would have been discipled in that from a very young age. Their parents, their grandparents, all of the nation and their tribe that surrounded them would have taught them that this was an uncompromisable thing, that you do not worship idols, you do not worship false gods. And one of the things that struck me as I was reading this this week, at the end of chapter 2, whenever Daniel accurately interprets the king's dreams, then it says that the king begins to worship the God of Daniel. And then all of a sudden, and we're not for certain exactly how long is between chapters 2 and 3, but most people believe that it is a short span of time. But we see this king who at the end of chapter 2 had said, this is your God, I'm going to worship him. This guy is awesome because he gave you the interpretation of my dreams that none of my astrologers or magicians or enchanters could even come close to. So yours is the true God. And then we see in chapter 3, all of a sudden now he's building an idol and saying you must worship this idol. And listen, I learned something too this morning. Coming into elders prayer time, I, we, we weren't a huge VeggieTale family at our house for some reason uh, when Rachel was growing up, but I did not realize that this idol in VeggieTales was a bunny. How many of you watch VeggieTales? Yeah, so you've got a mental picture right now that this is a bunny, all right? I, I hate to burst your bubble, but probably not biblically accurate that it was, it was a bunny, all right? But if it works for you, you know, whatever. But let's, I, I want to kind of take us through some scripture, and I want us to see what idolatry consists of. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to be giving you a whole lot of, I'm not going to be giving you any Bible verses. This is going to kind of be coming at you at machine gun speed. So they're on the notes in the app and the website. So if you want those, those are available there. But here's what idolatry consists of in scripture. Bowing down to images, worshiping images, sacrificing to images, worshiping other gods, <coughs> excuse me, swearing by other gods, walking after other gods, speaking in the name of other gods, looking to other gods, serving other gods, fearing other gods, sacrificing to other gods, worshiping the true God by an image, worshiping angels, worshiping the hosts of heaven, worshiping devils, worshiping dead men, setting up idols in your heart, covetousness and sensuality. 
These things are spoken against because all of these things change the glory of God into an image. We cannot turn the presence of God or his glory or what we worship as God into an image. We see it happening all throughout scripture, even with God's own people, with the Israelites wandering through the wilderness making a golden calf. God's image cannot be, God's glory cannot be made into an image. And that's something that we even struggle with sometimes today. But if you look in the Bible, idolatry is described in these terms. Deuteronomy 7.25 says it's an abomination to God. Deuteronomy 16.22 says it is hateful to God. In Psalm 115 says, it describes it as it's vain and foolish. In Ezekiel 23, it says it's bloody. 1 Peter 4, it is abominable, not even the snowman, but it's abominable nonetheless. Judges 10, 14, it is unprofitable. Romans chapter 1 says that it's irrational. And Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 7 says that it is defiling to God. So I think this morning, with all of this said, pulled from the scriptures, we can figure out that idolatry is not good. It is not a good thing. Idolatry makes men forget God. It makes us go astray from God. It pollutes and dilutes God's name. It defiles the sanctuary of God, and it causes an estrangement from God. Simply put, biblical idolatry will be punished with a judicious death and a dreadful judgment which ends in banishment, exclusion from heaven, eternal torment, and an eternal separation from God. Idolatry in God's eyes is a really big deal, and it's something that we all struggle with daily in our lives. Now, you may not have a 90-foot bunny that's established in your front, front lawn. You may, and hey, if you do, all right, whatever. But most of us don't struggle with these idols that we would think of from a biblical perspective of having an actual image or something that we put in the place of God but we all struggle with this because idolatry at its root form is whatever you put before God. Whatever takes priority in your life over God is an idol. Whether it be your kids, whether it be your spouse, whether it be a family member, whether it be a sports team, an ex extracurricular program, if it's a car, if it's a job, if it's a bank account, if it's any of these things, all of those things can be an idol in your life if you put them before God. Video games can be an idol. Netflix can be an idol. Amazon Prime can be an idol. Shopping can be an idol. Eating can be an idol. This is not fun for me to say. But these things can be idols in our lives if they take priority over God. And if you find yourself making an excuse for why these things are taking precedent over your relationship with God or your attendance at church, if you feel like you have to get really creative to justify it, it's an idol. That was good preaching. Thank you. I appreciate that. So let's, let's look at this story, and let's look at a couple things that, that really are applicable to our lives that we see that these young men face. Because like I said, we find that already into this story, they've been tested and they've held true to their convictions, but it's kind of been on a minor scale. It, you know, I mean, their life was at risk, so I hate to say minor scale, but 
it wasn't in the public view. But here in this story, we see that it's become very, very public. And I think one thing that we can learn is that as Christ followers, we will face idols. We will face idols in our life. Verses 1 through 7 talks about that. And we see that there are all of these uh, these rulers, these leaders, basically the whole, because Babylon was a huge empire at this time, and, and they had rule and reign over most of the known world at that time. So they would have had thousands and thousands of people at this ceremony, and there would have been rulers. They would have had the who's who. There would have been the VIPs. There would have been the hello, my name is name tags going on here. Okay, there was, This was a really, really big deal for this ceremony to happen and then, you know, they give the instruction that whenever the instruments are played, whenever the music's played, whenever that sound comes forward, then what you're going to do is you're going to bow down and you're going to worship this idol that the king has built. Why? Because if you don't, you're going to die. That's just, that's just how it is. Now, there's, I, I got a few fast facts for you guys a little bit about this idol situation that they're facing here, and I want to see if there's any of them that could we could see happening in our lives also. This idol was set up in a unique and easily accessible location for every person to be able to get to. The who's who of Babylon's world would have been there for the dedication. This was a time that was set so that all national, political, and religious parties would be required to be there and would be expected to do what they were told to do in unity. There was grand and emotional music that was to be played at the moment of dedication. And if you're familiar with the psychological effects of music on, on our person, then you understand this was a powerful psychological element that was taking place. There was an exact moment that was specified for the time of submission and worship. There is a threat of death to anyone who doesn't fall down in worship. And when the moment came, it appeared that everyone did what they were told. Now, see, we may not be confronted with the exact same situation that we read about here, but rest assured that we will be presented with this situation similarly to worship an idol or to bow down to a cultural norm via pressure time and time and time again in our lives. So this can happen in our lives quietly, in the, in the, when we're all by ourselves, when we're facing no one, or it can happen in a public arena. But the fact remains that idols, and you know a lot of these things, idols, before they become idols, are sometimes good things. But when idols turn into gods, they're no longer a good thing in our lives. Again, my daughter grew up playing sports. She grew up in high school in an extracurricular activity that required a lot of time. These are not bad things. So don't think that I'm telling you that they are bad things. But when they become an idol, this good thing becomes an evil thing in your life. I think secondly, this, the thing that we can see here is that Christ followers will face criticism. Verses 8 through 12 we learn that honoring God and obeying Him and being true to our convictions are not necessarily always popular. And it can sometimes, very, probably very few if any of us in this room have faced it to where it's actually become a life-threatening situation to us. 
But we're instructed in Acts 5.29. It says that we must obey God rather than people. If there's one verse to scribe into your mind this morning, let it be Acts 5.29. Obey God rather than people. So, and just imagine this scene. I love to, as I'm reading these stories, I like to try to imagine myself there seeing this as almost like a cinematic experience. We have this huge plain of Dura, and then we see, we hear the music, we hear the sounds echoing out, and then all of a sudden, just in mass, you see thousands of people just bowing down and worshiping and paying homage to this idol. But then there's maybe a small pocket to where you just see three Young men standing there, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, standing there, uncompromising. So I've already, I've already mentioned it once. By a show of hands, let's, let's see who's really transparent this morning. How many of you in here are Lord of the Rings fans? Oh, wow. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we've got some work to do, First Church. We've really got some work to do. Anyhow... There's a scene at the end to where they all bow down to the hobbits. And it's, you've got all of these people, these masses of people just bowing down, and you've got these three young, you know, these four young men in the, in the hobbits case standing there. That's what I see in my mind. You all can't appreciate that now because you all don't enjoy good stuff, apparently. Anyhow, let me just step right off that soapbox before I get too high on there. But what we see is we see in this situation that we see that these three young men who have publicly defiled the king. Then there's reports, and there's probably some jealousy in these reports. You know, these are young men who are not Babylonians by nature. They've been brought in as slaves, and now they've they've, they've got rank, they've got authority in the Babylonian system, and these people who were and are Babylonians aren't happy about that, so they go and tell the king. That, hey, didn't you say this? Didn't you say that? That if they did that? Yeah, that's what we thought. Okay, well, there's three of them that didn't do that. And they are actually rulers over some of your provinces. Would you like to talk with them? And this enraged King Nebuchadnezzar. So he brings them in. And he says, "Number here's, here's the things that they did. Number one, you ignored me. They ignored the king because it was a direct mandate from the king. Number two, you didn't serve the God I told you to serve. You didn't worship and bow down when, to the God that I told you to. And number three, they didn't worship the statue that the king has set up. And then we see the, the king becomes enraged. And that brings me to the third thing this morning that we'll face is that Christ followers will face pressure. We will face pressure to worship false gods. And in verses 13 through 15, we see that pressure happening again in their lives when the king tells them, like, listen, I'm going to give you a chance to do it in private. Hey, you don't have to do it to where everybody would see you. You don't have to ruin your, your God, the Elohim, God of Israel reputa- reputation with the others. You don't have to do that. You can just do it right here in front of me. And see, and here's where I think that that temptation gets really really hits home because I think that there are times in all of our lives that we're willing to compromise what we believe when no one else sees it. When it doesn't ruin what other people think of us, I think that we have a greater tendency to compromise our convictions in those moments rather than in here on a Sunday morning. But that's when we see them make their stand 
And Nebuchadnezzar has just such this ego thing going on there because he's like, who can rescue you from me? What God can rescue you from me? And that leads me to the last point this morning. I believe that we as Christ followers, there will be times in our lives that we'll face the need to be courageous. Verses 16 through 18, let me read that again. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into a blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, man, I, Terry, I'm, I'm glad that you read this this morning because I just, I love this verse. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. I believe that we see a New Testament equivalent to this in Mark chapter 13. In Mark 13, verses 9 and 11, we see you must be on your guard. You will be handled, handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues on account of me. You will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking but the Holy Spirit. Guys, this is some pretty serious stuff that we're talking about this morning in the form of idolatry and what we put priority in. But I think that we see in the Bible three quick things about what we are supposed to do whenever we're faced and whenever it comes to idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10, 14 tells us that it's number one, you flee from idols. Flee idols. Flee from idols. Number two, Avoid idols. 1 Corinthians 10, 10 through 20 tells us, have no fellowship at all with the table of demons. And the third one is 1 John 5, 21. My little children, keep yourselves from idols. So what does the Bible tell us as New Testament believers to do in regards to idols? Flee, avoid, and stay away. Flee, avoid, and stay away. Basically, idols have no place in the life of a believer. Let me say that again. Idols have no place in the life of a believer. If you're a believer, anything, nothing should take the place of God in your life. So where do we see Jesus in this story this morning? Well, I think that we can look back to last week and a point because they're drawn out in public to give a denial. Then they're brought into the chambers, just as of chambers of Nebuchadnezzar, just as Jesus was before Pilate. And they're given a chance to recant their stories and compromise their convictions. And they, nor Jesus, do that, no matter what the form. But I also see another similarity in an, in an image of where we see Jesus in this passage, that as they are out in the field and they are told at one point to bow down and worship because their life will be saved, they will be safe if they bow down and worship. But my mind goes again to the temptation of Jesus by Satan in the wilderness when 
He takes him up, Satan takes him up onto a high mountain. He says, look out upon all of these kingdoms. All of these can be yours if you will simply what? How many of you remember that? Bow down and worship me. And Jesus refuses to do that. You see, Jesus is the greater. Jesus is the one that faces situations that we face, the, the, the trials, the persecutions, even greater things than we ever will because he faced them. Because when you and I do, if we do them on our own power, we're going to fail. But Jesus was the only one, the spotless lamb, the sinless son of God who came, lived his life for you, lived his life for me in order that we may have a hope of eternity in heaven with him. 